Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Hello friends, I hope this finds you well. Uh, can I start by saying massive welcome if you've come here from Sean Atwood's True Crime podcast. Sean is, uh, well, he's just such a nice guy and his subscribers really reflect that. I've had such uh, such kind and supportive emails from them. It's been amazing. So welcome to our channel. Now, I've been meaning to do this for a while. As many of you know, my first memoir was Eating Smoke. It's uh, subtitle One Man's Descent into Drug Psychosis in Hong Kong's Triad Heartland. And it's got quite a lot of exposure, quite a lot of press over the years. And it, you know, for a first time author, I think it's fair to say it, it did did okay, right? But what I haven't talked much about is my second memoir, 40 Nights. And in many ways, I'm really much more proud of this. It's probably difficult to explain why, but in a nutshell, it's a really funny book. Um, so Eating Smoke was Hong Kong. Descent into Crystal Meth Psychosis speaks for itself, right? And obviously that's where I ended up working as a nightclub doorman in a bar run by the 14K. So Hong Kong's uh, most notorious triad gang, right? But this, this is set back in the UK. And this, in, in a way, is of far more value to anybody that's trying to get a... Sorry, putting a shadow on my beautiful face. But yeah, this is of far more value to anyone that's battling their demons, that's looking for a way out, that wants to know how did I restructure my mind and go and travel to many of these countries you see behind you, achieving, well, all my goals on the way. And this is the, the beginnings, really, of how I put that mindset together. It's quite deep. It's quite nasty in some places. Um, hence why I, or one of the reasons why I used a lot of humour. Um, I mean, there's one point in this book where I'm injecting blood, the blood that's left in my syringes, that I was so desperate not to, not to come down off the, off the high that I was on. But like I said, I balanced it with the humour. And I also did that because... I don't want anyone feeling sorry for me. I've been to sort of the depths, the lows, but I would never let that take away from the fact I've had an amazing life. And as you can see, I'm still here. Bad luck. <laughs> but in my view, there's just no such thing as a bad experience. I mean, don't get me wrong, if you lose someone you love, yeah, I mean, that's it's not nice. I'm, I'm not trying to say that's not. What, what I probably am trying to say is 
society conditions us to think of so many experiences as bad and that there's bad and there's good and that we should always strive for the good. And it's not really not my experience. My experience is you can't really build a life just based on good experiences. I mean, how do you know how to empathise with someone who's going through a bad experience if you've only had good ones, right? Can you see where I'm, I'm going with this? In addition, you know, you learn an awful lot about yourself when you're having this, this downtime. And it's the old cliche. If it doesn't kill you, is that really a bad experience then? You, you know, if no one gets hurt or they get hurt and you can say sorry and it, and, and it's all better in the end, is that a bad experience? Well, I'd say it's not. I'd say it's just an experience. So bear that in mind if, um, you know, if you're struggling in any way. You always have to turn every negative into a positive. And it's not like, yeah, Chris, it's easy. But no, 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 this is not easy for me to say. It's just I've had to do it to still be sat here now, happy and enlightened and, you know, smashing every day, building my dreams, smashing down my, you know, smashing through my goals. That's just what I've had to do. Every negative gets turned into a positive. No matter, there's, there's just no negatives in my life. Things happen. I look at it and think, hmm, OK. How are we going to deal with this? So it was important to introduce humour in 40 nights. Um, like I said, didn't want anyone feeling sorry for me. Uh, and it's quite ordinarily a dark subject matter, right? Enough said. I'm going to read some of this book. This is one of my favourite passages. Don't get me wrong, I've never read one of my own books. I'm just mean from when I wrote it, and you obviously read through when you edit. This was something, it just always brings a smile to my face. It centres around a pub called the Backwood Parrot, which was Plymouth's most druggiest pub. You could go there, there was always a bong on the bar, and you could just go up and help yourself to this bong and put your dope in and smoke it. Any drug you wanted... The landlord would just, or the barman would make a phone call and within, uh, oh God, you know, within half an hour, your man arrived in his BMW and you were sort, sorted out. And um, I think the barman was called Steve. I mean, I think that's the name, yeah, I gave him in this book. He was a, actually a really nice guy. Um, so let me read. This chapter from 40 Nights is called The Kids Are All Right. Saturday arrived and Steve had mentioned a fancy dress party at the Backwood Parrot. During the day, I worked on the mural in between digging into my arms with dulled needles. When evening fell, I climbed into the loft and rummaged through a seaman's kit bag containing the fancy dress gear I'd accumulated in the Marines. Studded wristbands, leather joy boy shorts and dresses from charity shops. I chuckled, recalling many a silly rig run ashore 
not to mention the ensuing fistfights. To keep things simple, I opted for a pink cowboy hat, a chunky false gold chain with dollar sign medallion and an ultra butch leather jacket I'd bought in Istanbul's Grand Bazaar. T-shirt could go, jeans could stay, at least until the second beer. As Dreamer by Living Joy played on a mixtape compiled off the radio, I danced around the front room, feeling full-on funky and raring to rave. I cycled to the pub in the dark with no lights on my bike, walking into the lounge a little after 10pm to find the place buzzing. All the punters had dressed up and were off their heads, singing and swaying to Boy's own words. Oi, cowboy, slurred a not-so-superhero, slapping me on the back and spilling beer over Princess Leah's grandmother. All good, Batman, I replied, sidestepping a chicken off its, beat on, off its beak on acid. Unable to spot Steve, I headed for the bar, squeezing between two umpalimpas, busy pouring diamorphine into their JD and Coke. I ordered half a lager from Jimmy Cranky, clearly stoned off his packed lunchbox, and returned drink in hand to purvey the scene. The joint rocked, and I was pleased I'd made the effort to come out. It was hard to believe the Backwood Parrot was a regular pub, what with every customer drugged up to the eyeballs. You! The bellow came from the far end of the bar. Sensing trouble, the copycat funsters parted as a nurse with padded boobs, red fishnets and five-day stubble made a rubbish beeline towards me. You! The accusation continued. It's as if I didn't know this twat wanted my attention. Now, if there's one place in the world you don't want a wonky transvestite on your case, it's the backward parrot. Just last week, a pissed up foreigner from a mile away in Whitley made a comment the regulars didn't appreciate. They dragged the guy outside, beat him unconscious and went to douse him in petrol until someone with a degree of fucking sense put a stop to it. So here I was in danger of being cremated by a hairy nurse, but no one else knew what the problem was. Until, that is, Nurse Ratchet screamed, He's a copper! Jimmy Cranky killed the music, adding a, You're fucking fucked, mate, edge to the already tense atmosphere. The drugged up, pissed up contenders all appeared to lean inwards, forming a leering tunnel of hate. A copper in the backward parrot was unquestionably wrong, my mind flashing back to the murder mystery night in Club Nemo in Hong Kong. The angel of death made her way over, wig awry, eyeliner and lipstick smudged, bulging black eyes projecting palpable paranoia. Then I realised, it was Donny. He's a copper! The council worker screamed. Desperate Dan puffed out his chest. Kermit the Frog 
shuffle closer. Shit! I bunch my fists, praying I wouldn't have to punch a muppet. Stop! I turn to see a pirate sitting under the jukebox. A huge beard stuck to his face and a French maid clinging to his arm. He's with me, the buccaneer shouted. It was a relief to hear Steve's voice. Only Donny ignored him. Bracing up to me, who the fuck are you, he sneered. I rested the the rim of my pink Stetson against his nurse's cap and whispered in my best Wild West drawl. I'm John Wayne. The bar dissolved into laughter. Taking on a friend of Steve's vibe. Jimmy Cranky cranked up the volume on School's Out for Summer and it belted around the bar. Donnie looked embarrassed and confused. Chris, I'm really sorry he put his arm around me. I got a bit para, you know. It's okay. Did you do a trip? Nah, coca mushrooms. Got any spare? Follow me. The flat upstairs was modest at most and in serious need of redecoration. The floor was bare boards and the main room only had a couch, a crappy table and chairs and a large TV. It was strange to think the city's biggest drug deals took place here. Two bald-headed bruisers slumped on the couch, enjoying an enormous conical spliff while watching Match of the Day. When it came to pleasantries, one of them was obviously telepathic, but the other one actually had to nod to say hello. Shouldn't judge, but life's hard enough as it is without going through it with facial tattoos. My host pulled a bag of shrooms from his pocket. We scoffed a handful each and then he chopped out two fat lines of cocaine on the table. Sorry sorry about all that back there, he said. Donnie didn't need to apologise again. Besides, the generous offering of Chang spoke for him. Jeez, it was strong. I returned to the bar, bouncing off the ceiling, experiencing a nicely mellow buzz as the mushrooms kicked in. To the tune of the Chemical Brothers, I bopped around the lounge, yapping to a flimsily suit, yapping to flimsily suited Marvel characters, Chewbacca, a baggy hot dog, and a bloke who didn't even know what he'd come as. Nor did anyone else. A teenage mutant ninja Demo beckoned me over to his table. Can you ro- roll a bifter, Chris? He yelled. I'll get the drinks in. Cowabunga. What? Never mind. Damo reached into his shell and handed me a bag of weed. I rolled five spliffs at lightning speed as the drinkers around me watched in amusement. Then I formed a slightly tapering three-inch long tube from the flap of a Rizzler packet and rolled a paper around the outside to prevent it unfurling. Holding the five spliffs side by side, I squeezed the roached ends and slid them into my Rizzler packet stem. The result was a five-pronged five-pronged fan 
which I presented to Damo to light. Ten minutes later, I could still see the glowing tips as the pentaspliff passed around the bar. I cycled away from the parrot, spannered yet looking forward to getting home for another hit. A petrol station marked the mid midway point on the journey, and as I p- approached, the SO Tigers' predatory eyes stared down at me. The giant poster sat in a display case high up a pole right below the current fuel prices. The eye shot alone captured the majestic creature's uncompromising beauty and I knew exactly what I would do with it. The sole CTV camera pointed at the fuel pumps, so I dumped my bike on the forecourt, checked the coast was clear and leapt at the pole. It was no good. I reached the poster and started to force off the casing's rubber seal, but the pole's burnished metal was too shiny to cling to with only my legs, and I began slipping back down. For the sake of art, I took off my jeans and leather jacket, and clad only in my boxers, cowboy hat and gold chain, was up the pole like a spooked cat. I unclipped my treasure and dropped it to the deck, along with a plexiglass pane. Congratulating myself, I began to slide back down. Headlights lit up the scene. Shit! My heart thumped. At this time of night, the odds of the lights belonging to a police car were not in my favour. It would mean a night in the cells charged with public public indecency and poaching an endangered species. Worse, if they searched my house and found the speed. And all for a stupid poster. Dropping to the ground would only attract attention, so I did what commandos do when caught out by a flare. I froze. The vehicle slowed. My bare knees weakened. It pulled to a stop. Phew! A Citroen CV6. A Citroen 2CV even. The driver wound down his window. Excuse me, he said, ignoring the fact I was clinging to a pole dressed as the gay caballero. Do you know where Carnham Caravan Park is? No, piss off. A woman leaned over. Apparently, it's near a petrol station, so we thought we might be close. I don't know it, sorry. My arms tired, my grip loosened, but sliding back to earth would only draw attention to the stolen poster. As if being up a pole, half-naked, wearing a pink cowboy hat, wasn't suspicious enough. To my horror, as I willed the holidaymakers to bugger off, a taxi drew alongside them. All right, me handsome, the cabbie greeted the wayward tourist. Where are you heading to? Carnham Caravan Park, the man replied. Rented an eight-berth with an electric hookup. Carnham Caravan Park, the driver muttered. Oh, fuck off, you moron. I slipped a few feet down the pole. You don't know where it is, so just fuck off. There's a Plim Valley caravan park, he stabbed in the dark. Oh, super, like they're really going to book into the wrong fucking holiday camp. But that's just permanent residence only. Moron, 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 I slid a few feet down the pole. Near a petrol station, near a petrol station, said the woman. 
Ah, near a petrol station, he raised the couple's hopes. Yes, they chorused, all beams and nods. Well, that's not near an old petrol station, he dashed those hopes. The futile exchange continued until I dropped all the way to the tarmac, where I remained motionless, arms wrapped around the pole. Fortunately, the couple realised the taxi driver was either bored or stupid, or both, and assured him they'd be fine. But as the cab drove off, the man in the Citroen looked at me, puzzled. Why are you hugging that pole? Oh, practice, I shrugged. Practice? Fire practice, I'm joining the fire brigade. But why in the dark? The woman queried. Um, in case I have to work night shifts? Uh, but why have you taken your clothes off? So they don't catch fire? Well, we wish you the best of luck, said the husband. The country needs people like you. Thank you, I replied. Friends, thank you for listening. My books are all available on Amazon. And if you could like and subscribe, I'd really appreciate it. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username Chris Thrall. Instagram Chris Thank you.